You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church. Uh, my name is Alex Rahill. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We're in a series called A New Way to Be Human. Many of us, most of us have probably seen the movie the Aladdin, and uh, we know that story, that theme, Disney made it famous. And the question uh, I want to ask is, what does the world see when the world sees Aladdin? Well, we hear the theme throughout the, sh- the movie. He's a street rat. He's viewed as nothing. Nobody's thinking about the fact that he's an orphan with no parents, but he's, they see him as a poor, troublemaking thief. But what does the genie see? The genie sees beneath the surface. He doesn't uh, judge that book by its cover, which is part of the theme of Aladdin. The genie sees deeper. He sees beneath the surface, and he sees Aladdin as a diamond in the rough. Today we're looking at how does Jesus see the Bible? And the reason why this is so important is that uh, everything else in the Sermon in the Mount that we're studying hangs on this. It's key to everything else. And, And we need to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is the key and central teaching of Jesus about what it means to be his father or what it means to live in his kingdom and what it means to live a rich and flourishing life that he has for you and for me. But the truth is, today's passage in Matthew 5, it's it's a difficult one for modern hearers, and so it's vital. We're going to walk our way through this, and we're going to look at it verse by verse. But here's our big idea. To follow Jesus faithfully, we need to see God's word the way Jesus did. Or to say it another way, uh, to be kingdom people, we need to see God's word the way the king sees it. King Jesus. And only then can we flourish as the new people God created us to be. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount hinges on this. So whether we're going to be salty salt, as Bob talked about last week, or a light in the darkness, we can't do that without God's word. That's what fuels this whole understanding of what it means to live. God's word tells us how to live in a way that causes flourishing. And it and it shapes our character. And so since this passage is uh, difficult, we're going to um, look at two key points here. There could be three or four sermons on this, and you know me if you've been around, so you know that's true. But we're going to look at two key points. And the first key point is this. How does Jesus see God's word? Jesus views God's word as true and coming true. It's permanently true, and it's coming true. Look at what Matthew five seventeen says. Jesus says this, Do not think... I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the law and the prophets is shorthand for God's word. It's the Old Testament. It's the Bible that Jesus grew up on. And so it would be called the law and the prophets. And uh, the word abolish means to destroy or to tear down or to deconstruct. And Jesus was teaching in a way where that people had not heard before. And they thought maybe he was tearing down the law, but he says the opposite's true. I, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm not here to deconstruct God's word. And you know, there's this whole 
deconstructing faith movement going on right now. And, and there's things people were taught that were, were not true. But a lot of people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there's so many true elements of what God's word says, not what it doesn't say. And people were told that's what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to live. Um, but what it does say that we need for our life. Jesus said, I'm not here to set people on a path where God's word doesn't matter and where everybody's their own authority. Remember, he's, he's talking about the Old Testament here. And a lot of people think now, well, the Old Testament's kind of old hat, even if they're Christians. You know, in the Old Testament, God's kind of an angry, mean old man. And then cool, hippie, teenage Jesus comes with a tie-dye shirt, and he's kind of like helping the Father chill out. That's not at all. What's going on here? And Jesus is trying to clarify that. The old and the new are totally connected, and the old predicts what the new fulfills. The old is the bud of the flower, and the new is the blooming of that flower. So Jesus says, that's not what I'm about. I'm not here to tear it down. I'm here to fulfill it. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 18 says this, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now that phrase for truly I tell you, or verily, verily, is the Aramaic word amen, which comes from the Hebrew word for truth. He's saying truth, truth, or amen. Like, and, and so it, it combines this word of solemn and truthful. So in our courts, we adopt this because we say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth. It comes from this concept, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So Jesus is saying, amen, at the very beginning, which he's saying, this is true. And what I'm about to say is a big deal. And it's solemnly true. So you should take what I'm giving you and, and you should take it into yourself. You should take it as your own. And he raises up the serious, seriousness again. He says, so truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away. Now, we have an equivalent phrase now. We say, when hell freezes over. <laughs> In other words, it means never. So Jesus is saying, when, until heaven and earth pass away, well, that's not going to happen. Jesus is saying, solemnly, truly, never will one piece of God's word pass away until everything is accomplished. And he uses two words here. You may have heard them before, dot and iota or the King James says jot and tittle. And the point of that is what Jesus is saying there, it's very um, uh, vi visual or people would really get it, is a jot or dot was, is like a comma. These are the smallest um, fragments of the Hebrew language. So uh, a dot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. And an iota or a tittle was a serif. It wasn't even a whole letter. It's like when you have an F and you cross it or you have a T and you cross it. That's the iota or tittle. And he's saying, look, down to the very, very smallest pieces of this word that God has given, not, none of it's going to pass away. It's all relevant. And until it's accomplished, this is going to um, continue to be relevant for your lives. But Jesus says the scriptures are not only true. So he goes, this is God's true and trustworthy word. He says they're all coming true. So the score of last week's game between the Spartans and Western Kentucky goes state 5-0. and And when I preach this on this Sunday, it, I, I hope we're 6-0. and <laughs> But the score of last week's game was 48-31, to state one. 
That statement is true, but it's not coming true. It's, it's just a truth that's passed. Jesus said the Bible is true and it's coming true. He's saying this is how God runs the universe. It's all going to be accomplished. Nothing in this book won't happen. That's what Jesus is saying. Every prophecy will come true. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecies all about him. The Old Testament is all about Jesus and prophesied his coming. Over 300 prophecies. And they all come true. And there's more prophecies to come about the kingdom come. Every prophecy will come true. Every promise will be fulfilled. Every warning and threat will be carried out. We don't like to hear that. And every command will someday be obeyed. That's why at the um, end of... uh, in, in Philippians 2, one of the things that we know is true is every knee shall bow, Scripture says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to come true. Jesus' view is that God's word is both true and coming true. And what I want us to see here is how did Jesus view the Bible? He views the Scriptures, his view is sky high. He sees the word of God as divine from the Father. He sees it as authoritative direction for life, and all of it, every dot and iota, uh, is going to be fulfilled. And his life's goal and purpose is accomplishing and fulfilling the word of God. So that's the first point. The second point is this. Jesus views God's word as essential, key to you and I living a flourishing life. Look at what it says in Matthew 5.19. It says, therefore, anyone, that's about us, the people who uh, claim to follow Jesus, or uh, anyone who sets aside, and that's the word sometimes translated as break or relaxes, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others uh, accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, so obeys, and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the context The word set aside is the root of the word abolish. So he said, I didn't come to abolish in some sense, but some people are abolishing God's word, God's law, and they're the least in the kingdom of heaven if they're in the kingdom of heaven. That word for um, set aside is the word to loose. And so if I were to take off my shoes, they would take off their sandals and untie them. They would loose them. Or an animal would be tied up to a tree and they would loose the uh, animal and, and take it. So think about this. What does a command exist to do? The commands of God are there to guide us. They're like guardrails on a road. And when we go outside the guardrails, we take our lives, we put our lives in jeopardy. I was driving down Lakeside Drive in Chicago last week, and I couldn't believe there's these hairpin turns all around Lakeside Drive, and there's these big cement dividers or guardrails between oncoming traffic, the opposite traffic. And there were these huge gouges taken out of these cement um, guardrails and and paint, all different colors paint. And I thought, what would have happened? What would happen if those guardrails weren't there? You're like, well, people scraped their cars, they dented their cars. Yeah, and if they weren't there, they would have drove right into oncoming traffic. Lots of people would have died if those guardrails weren't there. Lots of people who survived crashes would have had lifelong wounds and disabilities. Life is like that, isn't it? We disregard God's command. We go outside and then we experience uh, accidents and pain and heartache and even death. And so God's word, like guardrails, is to keep us on his path of life. 
He says, this is the way to live that, where you'll flourish and I want you to stay on the path. And if you go outside the path, then you will hurt yourself and you'll hurt others. And so Jesus says, if you tear those down, those guardrails of God's word and God's will, uh, and you treat them as no big deal, he says, you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but if you do them, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not just a matter of rank. That's a matter of experience, of lived life. So, um, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But here's the question. Is he saying that if you treat God's law in a low manner, you'll get into heaven, but you'll be kind of JV? <laughs> like you'll have a different colored jersey. And instead of getting this sweet Martin guitar to play in the worship band in heaven, you're going to get one of those little plastic uh, student mini size ones that won't ever stay in tune, right? Bring, bring. <laughs> well, surprisingly, that could be what he's saying, except for the guitar. So don't, don't go say, I heard you're going to get a JV guitar if you're not really great. <laughs> that might be true, but because there's a lot of passages that we don't teach on as well that talk about rewards in heaven that correlate to how we live here. But it's unlikely because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven is here now and it's at hand. And so what Jesus is most likely saying is this, if you don't take the scriptures seriously, you're putting a ceiling on your ability to experience God's kingdom here. You're handicapping your own joy. You're limiting your spiritual vitality and your relationship with Jesus. You're not going to flourish in life if you're not practicing his commands. And maybe you feel like that right now. You're, you're going, man, I, I just, I, I'm not experiencing God's life or presence or guidance. And I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe it's because you're not practicing his commands that he's given you. And uh, you're missing out. And, when he, and then he says, and teaches others to do the same. Now, now, I almost skipped over this part, but here's the problem. You might think, well, I'm not teaching anybody to do anything. And the, there's two problems here. Everybody's a teacher. Would you say that to the person next to you, fist bump? Hey, Mark, you're a teacher. Everybody's a teacher. We teach with our lives. So our kids are watching what we do. Our neighbors are watching what we live. Our co-workers are watching and seeing our lives and what we prioritize and what we take seriously. And are we taking God seriously? Do we live according to his ways? And they see what's important to us. For example, when kids see that school is mandatory, but church is optional, we're teaching them something. And, um, and we have to think about that. What are the things we say, hey, these are the essentials in our family, and here's the things that are optional, and are the right things in the right category. We're teaching all the time, and we teach with our words all the time without realizing it. I'll give you an example. I just talked to a, a, a person not long ago who was having this emotional conflict with another coworker, and, the, and, um, and someone told her, I get it. Uh, another Christian told her, I get it. You got to get that toxic negativity out of your life. I would just ignore her. Well, is that what scripture teaches? She had an emotional conflict. She actually did something wrong and felt wrong. Or do you say this? You know, Jesus calls us to be reconciled, right? To first look at our own sins and confess them. And then to honestly confront the other person. And then to forgive as we've been forgiven. Those are two radically different approaches, but let me tell you, by the advice we give, we are teaching people. The point is what? Jesus didn't come to abolish the scriptures. He came, uh, he says, it, uh, in any way that we 
um, don't practice God's word and we don't live according to it, we're limiting ourselves and we're limiting our spiritual growth. When we don't learn and embrace and practice God's word, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. When we practice and teach others to live according to God's word, we flourish and we help others flourish too. Then Jesus ends with a bang. He says in, in verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? <gasps> now, if there's anything that would have caught anybody's attention in the whole Sermon on the Mount, this, was the, this is the line that would have did it. This single statement. Because the Jews had a saying, if only two people go to heaven, one will be a scribe and the other will be a Pharisee. <laughs> so that's how, because they took the law so seriously. So if you're telling me I got to be better than them who took the law so seriously, in fact, Jesus says the Pharisees and took so, this so seriously, they, they even tithed on their spice rack because we're supposed to tithe. We give 10% back to God. He gave it all to us. We manage it. We give 10% back to him in worship and, and for his work. He's, the Pharisees even went through their spices and tithed on those. And so you're like, wow, that's pretty hardcore. These people studied God's word and they made a serious effort to obey all of it. But Jesus says something is off in their approach and they're not being teachable to it. They, it isn't leading them into the kingdom the way they think, which is really fascinating because there's two ways we can set aside God's law. And, um, and they're uh, equal and they're opposite in their ability to make us miss the point. And the first one is this, we break the letter of the law. Now, this is the thing they tried not to do, the external law. They never tried to break it. But in our culture, this is really actually very popular right now, right? Um, people are like, oh, I believe the Bible, but I don't believe all of it. You can't, it can't all be true. We've made progress. You know, there's parts of this that are way out of date. They're primitive. So if you're saying that, you're actually going, yeah, I don't have to follow scripture. You're saying the dots and iotas, they don't matter. And if God knew, listen to this, if God knew what we know now, he wouldn't have said what he said. <laughs> that's what we're saying. That's arrogance. We think we know better than God. Do you think God went, oh my gosh, 2020, 2021, I never saw this coming. Like, uh, and, and, um, I didn't see that the way marriage might, oh, I didn't realize that was the way marriage was going to go. I didn't consider uh, that enlightened perspective on sexuality. I need, to, I need to rethink my stuff. But if he was just as smart and as advanced as we are, he would change his perspective. And we, so we disregard God's word. And that, the truth is that's how most of the world does it. Um, but if you do that, let me tell you what happens. You end up with a God who's always changing and never certain. And that's no God at all. You know who that is? That's me. I don't want to worship me. I can never worship a God like that. The word of God is God breathed. And if, and if we disagree with God, the chances are one of us is wrong. And I've learned it's probably me. Um, and you can decide what you decide. But Jesus said, it, the word is God breathed. It's divine. It's true. And it's being accomplished. But there's a second way we break the law. And this is the way the Pharisees were missing it. And this happens in religious environments quite a bit. They, they weren't breaking the letter of the law. They loved the letter of the law, the Pharisees did. But uh, in their focus on the letter of the law, they missed the heart of the law. This is what the whole conflict is going to be about between Jesus and the religious leaders. 
They made it all about external behavioral compliance. They said, as long as I do what's right on the outside, what, what happens in my heart doesn't matter. When the truth is God's word goes so much deeper, all the way down to the depths of our heart. And that's what Jesus is constantly talking about. When you understand that, uh, that, that it will help you understand. It helps us all understand scripture better. So Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and active. So the word is alive and it's active and it's moving and it's vital in our lives. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is supposed to go all the way down to our heart. It's not about a bunch of rules and following a bunch of external laws and not having our heart pierced and impacted by the word of God. So everything else that comes in chapter five is all going to be about Jesus talking about this theme. So in the next section, which Kate will be talking about next week, it says, do not murder. And we could say, well, let me see. Do I murder? No. Check. Um, in fact, the law says, don't give false witness against my neighbor. And you could say, well, I've never been to court and lied against my neighbor. So I haven't given false witness. Check. And uh, but we're going to find out that that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, it's good to obey the outside, but he's saying God's goal for your life and mine isn't about external compliance, listen, but internal transformation. The Pharisees are trying to do outside in righteousness. They're trying to actually earn their, their, uh, earn their way to uh, right, being right with God. They're trying to earn their way into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, you can't earn your way into the kingdom because you're a transformed person and you're changed on the inside. It's going to bear fruit on the outside. It's outside in righteousness or transformation versus inside out transformation. And that's what the Pharisees are focused on. So I had a GTO. My uh, uncle had a GTO, beautiful car. And you looked at the body and you were like, oh my gosh, that's a great car. But if you lift the hood, you're going to find out the engines totally broke down and there was a squirrel in there. There's about 8,000 nuts in there, right? So, but imagine me thinking, I'm going to just keep polishing the outside of the GTO. And, and I'm expecting that if I polish it and make that outside look beautiful because the body was not in bad shape, but the engine was dead, that it's going to actually fix the engine. And you're like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> But we live like that. Like, I'm just going to do this outside behavior all the time and think it's going to change my heart. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Your heart needs to be transformed. And when, you, when that happens, when we get to the root of the problem, you're going to be, a, a, um, a, you're going to be a, a person filled with life and joy and goodness. And you're going to bring life and joy and goodness to the rest of the world. So Jesus is going to say this in the next uh, section. You heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, anger in your heart is the same root problem. So you may have had someone who hasn't physically harmed you or tried to murder you, but they're angry at you. They hate you. They despise you. And doesn't that contribute to so many of the world's problems? Uh, they say mean things about you, but they didn't murder you. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to really be set free, it's just not murdering is not enough. I want you to set you free from the anger in your heart. It's just bubbling out of everywhere. And I want to get to that anger. Or he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, lust in your where? Heart 
is the same problem as adultery with your body. And he's pressing down deeper than the surface. See, this is it. The Pharisees were judging the book by the cover thing. They were just trying to do the outside of the book and not getting down to what the real meaning of the book was, which is God wants to give us a new heart and transform our hearts. And from that heart will flow this desire to live according to his ways. Because God's law was never intended to make us righteous. God's law was given to us to show us how to live. But the only way we can be made righteous is what I'm going to tell you in a minute. I'm going to get to in a minute. So Jesus presses on this. So how does Matthew 5:48 end? Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. <laughs> what? Good luck. So this is what Jesus means when he says he came to fulfill the law. He obeyed in every way that you and I can't. He is perfect as his father is perfect. He not only not, didn't murder, but he's um, perfectly forgave everyone who sinned against him. He not only didn't commit adultery, he never lustfully objectified women. And we, we treat other people as objects and as, for our greed and our lust, and we mistreat them. Jesus never did any of that in his mind or with his body. He never cheated on his people, even though we betrayed and abandoned him for idols and for false gods. The point of law is that we cannot, but Jesus has. He's fulfilled it in every way. And he gives us the gift of righteousness that we can never attain on our own. One of the greatest lessons that you and I will ever learn is when it comes to righteousness, the righteousness that God requires from you is the righteousness that God gives you. The righteousness God requires from you is the righteousness God gives you. Listen to Romans 3, 21 and 22. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Apart from the law, it wasn't, the law was never going to make us righteous, but the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is, what's that word? Given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, the Pharisees on the outside looked as if they were fulfilling every letter of the law. But what they were missing was the spirit of the law. And what Jesus was saying is, unless your righteousness goes deeper than theirs, unless your, your righteousness is not a, about your head and knowing things, but of your heart and being transformed, you do not know what kingdom living is all about. But if we're ever going to have the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, like Jesus says we need, we need to receive his gift. We need to put our faith in him. He lived the life we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. And when we receive his gift of righteousness, when you and I uh, the law, uh, know that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf, it leads to us to love God's word more. We, get it, we have a new heart and a new mind and we want to start to obey God's command. We love God's commands. You see, living God's word, his commands, they're not the root of our salvation, but the fruit of it. When we become, uh, have a new righteousness in Jesus, what grows out of the seed of that new transformed life is good works that don't save us, but are the fruit of our salvation. So here's two takeaways as we wrap up. The first one is this. If we're adopting Jesus' view of scripture, we're going to have confidence in God's word. And God's word is, is true and it's coming true. It's being accomplished. So 
We're going to be surrounded by people who disagree with us. But I want you to know massive empires have come and gone, but the word of God has remained. And God is going to fulfill his promises. And even in COVID in 2020 and 2021, um, God loves us and cares for us. And you and I can be confident that God knows and cares about our crazy circumstances. And we can have confidence that he's with us and he's going to fulfill his promises. And number two is this, obedience to God's word. Years ago, I was talking to an older man uh, who was a Christian and I don't remember all the details, but he said, but it's not like we're supposed to live like that. I think it was about loving our enemies. And I know this is going to sound simple, but Jesus is saying here, he does in fact expect us to obey him. That we actually do and say the things he told us to do and say. This is part of why so many Christians in America lack saltiness. They lack life. They lack light because we don't actually believe that. Well, if you love your enemies, they'll take advantage of you. That's not practical. You can't actually give your money. Tithing, that's not responsible. Or when people do something hurtful to you, you can't forgive them. What are we even talking about? If we say we follow Jesus... Hear me, hear me. That means we follow him. That he's Lord, that he's first, that he's king, and that what he tells us is true and trustworthy and it leads to life. There's really only two ways that we can view God's word and really how we view Christ. You either believe that you're smarter than God or that he's smarter than you. And I believe that he's smarter than me. And that his word is true and living and active. And everything else that's going to come in the Sermon on the Mount is going to flow from this. That God's word is true and it's coming true. And it's essential if we're going to live a flourishing life. And it all starts with us not trying to earn our salvation and do all these works of the law, hoping God will like us. God already loves you. But it comes from us receiving a righteousness that's deeper and better than what the Pharisees were trying to do because they were trying to earn their way. It comes from receiving Jesus and his love for us and his forgiveness for our sins and his new life. So will you pray with me right now and invite him in? Lord Jesus, I confess that I've fallen short. And as I read these words, Lord, I realize I can't live up to them. And that's the point. You give us your word and your command to show us how to live, but we can't do it on our own. We never were intended to. So I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking for your grace. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus, that you died for me. And I'm asking you to fill my heart with your spirit. And out of this new life, Lord, you birthed me. I want to follow you and I want to obey your commands. And I want to live in a way that uh, causes me to flourish and causes the people around me to be filled with your love and your goodness and your flourishing. May, Lord, we see your word the way you see it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed and made a decision to follow Christ, would you please uh, let us know that and just um, put that in the uh, comment section there or whatever the click button is. <laughs> that thing right there. And um, we want to help you take your next steps. I'm so grateful to be with you. God bless.